2: July 5th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Where have all the coupons gone? As record high inflation is still hitting us, many are looking for deals anywhere they can. But paper coupons and even digital ones are harder to come by. Circulation is down, and redemption rates have also plummeted as people just don't have time to sort them all out, and smartphones have made other shopping incentives possible. Lydia Depillis, economy reporter at the New York Times, joins us for what to know. Next, according to a recent survey from Gallup, the world is unhappier and more stressed out than ever. The second year of the pandemic seemed to be worse in many ways as people had more negative experiences and less positive ones. They felt less rested and experienced less enjoyment. Mohammed Yunus, editor-in-chief at Gallup, joins us for the new highs reached in Gallup's Negative Experience Index. Finally, the airline industry was waiting for business travelers to come back to get them back to pre-pandemic levels. Well, some of that has returned, but flight cancellations and delays are causing some professionals to opt for the road trip instead. To avoid delays and missing appointments, they're willing to drive up to seven hours to get where they need to be. Allison Poli, travel reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
3: Brands discovered that they could use these promotions in a more sophisticated way if they could track their spending habits. And so there's all different kinds of incentives they could offer other than sort of the form of a coupon, which is, in essence, a discount offered when you check
2: out. Joining us now is Lydia DePillis, economy reporter at the New York Times. Thanks for joining us, Lydia. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about coupons. Uh, we're seeing prices skyrocket everywhere. We're having the worst inflation we've had in forty years. There's just no end in sight for that. It seems like, and uh, a mainstay for a lot of people that uh, we're looking to have uh, get deals and whatnot coupons we've seen that they're harder to find than ever a lot of brands and retailers are shifting away from the paper coupons and there's also a lot of digital version of coupons but they just haven't kept up pace with everything else so uh, it's just a a very interesting look at all this Uh, Lydia what are we seeing with it?
3: So brands have a lot of different ways in which they try to get consumers to try things that they might not otherwise have bought. And for a long time, they relied on paper coupons that went out with almost every newspaper in America when newspapers in physical form were the main way that people consumed news. And so... There's a lot of things going on. So these were distributed in the hundreds of billions in the 1980s and 1990s. And many people remember their parents clipping them and taking them to the store and getting a few bucks off on toothpaste or cereal or whatever. So that started to decline, both in the numbers of coupons distributed and in the share of those coupons that were being redeemed. And that's the result of several factors.
2: Just to put some quick numbers on it, in 2021, there's estimates that we had 168 billion circulated coupons uh, across both print and digital formats. But in 2015, just a few years ago, that was 294 billion. So, I mean, that's <laughs> a, it's a big, big drop. And to your point about redemption rates, 0.5% of all print and digital coupons were redeemed in 2020. So people just aren't using them. And you were going to go just get into a list of why people aren't using them. Time, time to do all the research and get them. That's one of the biggest things.
3: I do think that's one of the biggest things. You know, another thing that happened between the 1980s and today is the rise of two earner households, right? More parents are working both at once. And so it's something that, that takes time to do is clip and keep track of all those coupons and also go to the different stores where different sales might be happening, So in that sense, we are sort of less price sensitive in that we're less willing to spend time to save money because the value of our time has increased, like more people can spend time working. But the other thing is that as computers became a dominant form of communication and then smartphones, brands discovered that they could use these promotions in a more sophisticated way if they could track their spending habits. And so there's all different kinds of incentives they could offer other than sort of the form of a coupon, which is, in essence, a discount offered when you check out, right? But what if they could do rewards for simply spending at the store or rebates later if you, you know take a picture of your receipt and send it to a vendor? So what I've heard is that the absolute amount that retailers and brands are spending on promotions has remained fairly steady but it's been diversified across a a number of different kinds of incentives.
2: And, you know, you had a a quick little history, too, of how coupons came to be, you know, really starting in the 70s uh, and, and peaking in 1999 at 340 billion coupons in newspaper circulation leading all the way to the TV show Extreme Couponing. I loved that show. And, and you know, but when you looked at those people that were doing that, it was a full-time job that, for them. They were spending 8 hours a day, 8 hours a day just cataloging everything and getting ready for those big buys. But everything's just changed as as we've been talking about.
3: Yeah, well, so the recession was an interesting time, and in that it was a sort of temporary re- reversal of these long-term trends. People really did use coupons more, and I think that show popularized the idea that you could get stuff for almost free. But almost nobody has that kind of time, <laughs> yeah, and there right. still are coupon bloggers and video loggers who, who show. Really, pretty ingenious ways of doing this, and it's become more complicated, right? Like, there's all other Shopkick and Ibotta. There's all different kinds of ways to get money back on your on your purchases. But others will tell you more practical. Couponers will tell you that. Sometimes that just leads to overbuying. You buy things that you don't need because just because there's a discount.
2: And that's exactly what retailers and manufacturers want to do. That's the model of the coupon. Exactly. and Bring you in and buy right. other stuff. And you know, at the same time why we're not seeing as many deals you know you did mention that some of the money is still kind of the same it's being allocated different ways, but the margins are so much thinner, especially going through what we saw with supply chain issues and whatnot. <laughs> the margins are so uh, thin on some of these coupons for the manufacturers. That's a why the model doesn't work as effectively anymore.
3: Yeah, right. So uh, with the rise of e-commerce, there was a lot of competition for grocery stores and convenience stores. So they were already offering fairly competitive rates. And so to give a discount on top of that was a little bit more than they could swallow. Um, And the pandemic made all of this worse because from a retailer or a manufacturer's perspective, they couldn't even keep their shelves full. So it's not like they were having trouble selling out of their inventory. So they didn't want to add incentives on top of that. So that's why, and this is something that many couponers notice, the supply just really fell dramatically and it wasn't made up for by the digital coupons. You know, I think that brands really want to make digital coupons happen, but it's only a small slice of people that's actually using them at this point. I think that Adoption may rise, but it is something that you have to figure out how to do pretty proactively.
2: Lydia Depillis, economy reporter at the New York Times. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm happy. To-
4: We also ask about a lot of negative experiences, like did you experience a lot of physical pain, worry, sadness, stress, anger? And as you alluded to, this year, really the highlight was pretty negative. Uh, we have a record high of several of those negative emotions across
2: the globe. Joining us now is Mohammed Yunus, Editor-in-Chief at Gallup. Thanks for joining us, Mohammed. Thanks for having me. Well, wanted to bring you on to talk about some uh, recent stuff that we're seeing there out of Gallup. Unfortunately, it's not very good news. The world seems to be unhappier and more stressed out than ever. So every year, Gallup does these polls where they ask people about negative experiences, positive experiences, all this stuff. And we're finding out that people had more negative experiences and fewer positive ones. Obviously, a lot of this data is from 2021. So the second year of the pandemic, you know, a lot of stressful times were happening. But Mohammed, tell us what we're seeing in all of this.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks uh, for taking the interest in our uh, report. It's called the Global Emotions Report. Um, It's something that we at Gallup have done for 15 years now. Since 2005, we've basically pulled the world on how citizens' lives are going. One of the most important ways we do that is to ask about their well-being. And this is one small part of that, which is experiential well-being, your positive and negative experiences as a person. Some of the positive things we ask about is, do you feel well-rested yesterday? Were you treated with respect all day yesterday? It's always about sort of the previous day to make it consistent. Did you smile or laugh a lot? Did you learn or do something interesting? And overall, did you experience a lot of enjoyment in your day yesterday? And we ask these questions across 140, 150 countries, depending on the year. We also ask about a lot of negative experiences, like did you experience a lot of physical pain, worry, sadness, stress, anger? And as you alluded to, this year, really the highlight was pretty negative. Uh, We have a record high of several of those negative emotions across the globe. Not so much anger, but a lot of worry, stress, and physical pain that we've seen being reported at higher levels, really across almost all the regions of the world.
2: Anger was one of the surprising ones. Obviously, here in the United States, there's been a lot of anger of a lot of recent issues, but this is a global poll, so this is reaching across everywhere. But uh, yeah, just some interesting stuff. And we know that, you know, throughout the pandemic, the uncertainty of everything that was going on, even as vaccines were coming on board, just continued lockdowns, things at schools, at least here in the U.S. I'm referring to mainly, just a lot of worry. I mean, it, it all tracks and it makes sense. The positive experience side of things, the numbers weren't Terrible. It didn't seem very, very bad, but still uh, just uh, slight drops in what we're seeing from years past.
4: You know, it's it's interesting because usually the story out of this report a lot of years is there's still a lot of positive experiences in the world. There's still a lot of happiness. Um, We've seen that kind of muted a little bit this year. But it's important for us. And you mentioned the, the pandemic, of course, has been huge. You know, inflation rising food prices are a major concern in a lot of places across the world. But it's important to keep in mind that these negative emotions have actually been increasing for the past decade. So I think the pandemic, like with a lot of other things, has really focused our global and public attention on a lot of challenges that were really evident in the research for years. So if you actually look at the trend for the past 10 years, a lot of these negative emotions have been climbing and it really runs the gamut, like rich countries, poor countries, countries at peace, countries at war, democracies, not authoritarian uh, types of some countries. I mean, it really runs the gamut. And It's going to be really important for us to dig under the causes of these negative emotions in these varying places. Obviously, there isn't one reason everywhere, but with physical pain in particular and worry, in the past, in that basic period of time, and really still more specifically since 2014, we've seen global food insecurity rising. We have a, a, another study that we do with the UN's Agency on Food Security, FAO, and we've seen those numbers continue to rise since 2014. So there are a lot of global challenges pushing these numbers, but Obviously, it's very different depending on where you live. You yeah. mentioned the U.S. and certainly, you know, the U.S. has been going through its its own challenges, social and economic.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, right as I was reading through all of this, the first thing that popped in my head was mental health. That why, that's why we see so many efforts to increase access to mental health and see what's wrong with people and get them the help that they need. You know, especially when we're talking about like those things, as you mentioned, being worried, being angry. You know, these are all things that we can hopefully help people with. So mental health was just ringing throughout my head while I was reading a lot of this. And just briefly, just to you know, kind of end this, when you talk about where people are the saddest, I guess, or where they have the most negative experiences, Afghanistan topped the charts on this. And we saw what was happening with them with the leaving of U.S. forces there, Taliban taking over. Tensions are really high for Afghans right now, and it showed through in this poll.
4: Absolutely. You know, one of the really tragic uh, and unique things about this study is the data from Afghanistan are actually based on 2,000 interviews that we conducted face-to-face, literally, as the Taliban were approaching Kabul to take it over. So it was really um, concerning to us that in all of those interviews, and we asked about a lot of other things like life evaluation, They were literally some of the most negative data that we've gathered in the way people don't have hope for the future and are assessing their current situation. We actually did a lot of articles and reporting on those data uh, when we got them back. But Afghanistan, Iraq, Lebanon, a lot of countries where we see really either war or very severe political and economic unrest have tended to be at the top of those lists.
2: Mohammed Yunus, editor-in-chief at Gallup, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thank you.
0: I have no idea if we're going to get on a plane tonight
2: or not. Like a delay till 9 o'clock, delay till 10.20, canceled at 12 o'clock. I was trying to get home before my birthday, which is today.
4: She's pregnant. We were like, like all this traveling has been crazy.
2: Joining us now is Allison Pauly, travel reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Allison. Thanks so much for having me. Well, one of the biggest things that the airline industry was waiting for to help bring the industry back this is after all the closures and everything that was going on through the pandemic was the return of the business traveler and now we're kind of seeing some of that happen it's coming back in a lot more ways as more offices are opening up but man these travel disruptions these all this travel uh, disruptions to air travel are really wreaking havoc on people's schedules and in a lot of cases some of these business professionals are just saying screw that i'm probably just going to drive some reports are saying that you know people are maybe taking up to seven hour drives just to get to whatever it is that they need to go see clients these business conferences all that stuff so allison tell us a little bit more about how the disruptions are really just changing everything
5: so a lot of leisure travelers have experienced these disruptions as well from staffing shortages COVID absences weather problems air traffic control As well and business travelers are right there alongside them. So some of them are opting to drive instead of fly for work trips. And that means that as opposed to driving three to four hours as they might have done in the past, they're now driving five to seven hours rather than take some of these shorter haul flights.
2: And for companies now trying to adjust to this, uh, you know, to allow for their employees to make this travel. They're having to a lot more time for that They're, you know, saying, OK, you don't know, leave a day early now uh, or, or it's just the planning that goes into it is so much more.
5: Absolutely. And so that could be an additional hotel charge as well. If someone's leaving the day before, maybe they are still flying, but they want to make sure that they leave plenty of buffer to get to that meeting. Hotels are very expensive this year. They're full. It also means if someone is canceled or delayed and they're trying to return, that could tack on an extra hotel stay on the other end as well.
2: I know a few people in the hotel industry, the hospitality industry, and even there, you know, they're getting bombarded by the same things It's happening everywhere. A lot of staffing shortages and whatnot. And for some of these uh, travel companies that handle with uh, with businesses and whatnot and, and the business travelers themselves, they're saying, I'm dealing with people I've never dealt with before. You know, so many people are taking more taking on more responsibilities trying to accommodate all this stuff.
5: Right. As there are staffing shortages, people are doing the jobs of two or three other people. So one company that books corporate travel mentioned to me that they had an experience at a hotel where the director of sales was booking and planning the entire event rather than just booking the event and passing it off to on-site operations staff. They saw the entire process through and were even on-site with banquet staff to make sure that everything went off well. And that can be tough for organizers and for the workers as well. They're running on all, firing on all cylinders. And for the organizers, it can take a while for things to come together because People who are stretched thin take a little bit longer to respond and coordinate.
2: It's interesting, right? Everybody had been wanting to get back to normal, how it was before the pandemic. And, you know, we're slowly starting to get there, at least when it comes to workplace issues and, and, and drive, and, you know, and the travel and all the stuff associated with it. But man, are those uh, growing pains to get back there so difficult. And uh, planning a big corporate event, which are, they're starting to come back now, right? You mentioned one event where they were trying to do a 150 person event, pretty big, but 20 flights got cancelled, 15% of the attendees got affected, and it just really throws everything for a loop at that point.
5: Yeah, because then you have to decide, should we start the event with the people who are here or should we wait for them to get here? Should we add on extra time at the end? Is there even space in the hotels for these people? Are we able to get them flights there and when will they rejoin the event? So it becomes really complicated when you have people traveling from all over, yet there is a very strong desire for these in-person events to reconnect with colleagues and clients as well. So the desire is there it's just all of the rigmarole and getting there
2: and any of the people that you spoke to, did they mention anything about trouble with actually getting those rental cars? If they're opting not to do the plane ride, maybe driving, you know, if they're not using their own personal vehicle, was there any difficulty there? Cause it's another story we had been hearing too, just the difficulty and the backlog with rental cars.
5: Yes they've been reserved for months people have learned now that they need to make those reservations early and in some cases people are having an issue because they only want the car to go one way and those bookings are pretty rare to come by so if someone has a return flight and they're hoping that that goes off as well they are just trying to get to their initial destination so it can be really tough to find a one-way rental car sure. especially on such short notice
2: Allison Poli, travel reporter at the wall street journal Thank you very much for joining us.
5: Thanks so much for having me.
2: That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.
0: I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters— I'm Saleh Mosin.
1: And I'm David Gurra. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is
1: side.